Would you turn with me to the Gospel of Luke, to chapter 10? I want to talk about stress today. You ever get stressed? Maybe you'd say, no, I never deal with stress. The other day I was mowing the yard and I finished mowing the yard and I thought, well, now I believe I'll put a little water on there since it seems to be, you know, uh, we haven't had rain in a while. So when I went to um, turn on the sprinkler, a snake fell out of the bush right there by my foot. And I, I, I don't know why, but I was stressed. And so anyway, uh, a good snake is a dead snake. It's like, was he uh, one that was deadly? And I thought, no, he's going to be dead though. But anyway, snakes stress me. Police lights stress me. The last time police lights were after me was when Jody and I were on our way to a pastor and wives retreat in Florida. And somewhere in Louisiana, it was late at night and the lights came on and they were going behind us. And so I pulled over and the officer comes up on Jody's side, on the passenger side. So we roll the window down and he says, so we've been drinking tonight, have we? And I said, no, sir, I'm a pastor. And he said, a what? And I said, I'm a pastor. and We're on our way to a pastor and wives retreat. And he said, I never heard of a pastor and wives retreat. So anyway, this was uh, news to him. So then he says, well, he said, I saw you weave just a little bit. So he said, you know, it is nine o'clock, sir. And I was like, well, excuse me, can't I be out after nine o'clock, you know? I guess he saw my gray hair and he thought, buddy, you're past your bedtime. <laughs> but anyway, <laughs> I was stressed. But I want to ask you, what causes you to be stressed? You know, there was an article by the American Psychological Association that listed some reasons why people are stressed out in 2022. It was based on a Harris poll that was fielded March the 1st through the 3rd of this year. And it said that 63% of the Americans that were polled say they're still stressed from the impact of two years of COVID. 87% said it's hard for us to cope with inflation. 81% said the supply chain issues have me worried. 81% also said global uncertainty, uncertainty with the country. And all of these things, it went on to say in the article, impact, they put stress and strain on us. For example, it talked about how 51 to 61% said they are strained in their relationships. 23% said they have increased in the amount of consumption of alcoholic beverages. 47% uh, said that they're not exercising, so they're just gaining weight. 73% said that they've noticed a strain in their concern for their children. They're very worried and burdened for their kids. What do you do with stress? Sometimes we juggle a lot, don't we struggle? Recently, I read of a family in North Carolina that they were struggling, so they thought, why don't we start juggling? So when they would sit down for a meal, they would just sort of start tossing and catching plates and cups and fruit and vegetables. Can you imagine going over there for a dinner party and you say, pass the rolls and they say, hey, you know, and they start throwing it around. Wouldn't that be crazy? Well, in the last five verses of Luke chapter 10, we're going to find Jesus and his disciples at a dinner. They were in the, at a dinner in the home of Martha and Martha was stressing. She was trying to prepare a meal for Jesus and the disciples, and she began to juggle all those different things. Maybe you'll be able to relate to Martha. But what was really hard for Martha was her sister, Mary, 
wasn't in the kitchen helping. You're going to hear in a moment how her sister Mary was in the room listening to Jesus, sitting at his feet. Maybe you would say, I can relate to that. Lately, I've been listening to what the Lord wants to say to me. Out of four Holy Spirit-inspired writers of the Gospels, only Luke records this meltdown. I believe it's because he knew there's something. You know, he was a physician. He knew there was something that we could learn from it. We could almost say it's like a stress test that you're going to hear as I read from Luke 10, 38 down through verse 42. It's not very long, but I want you to really pay attention because I think it offers us a tremendous solution to stress. Would you stand in honor of God's word? Let me read this passage. It says in Luke 10, 38, now as they went on their way, Jesus entered a village and a woman named Martha welcomed him into her house. And she had a sister called Mary who sat at the Lord's feet and listened to his teaching. But Martha was distracted with much serving. And she went up to him and said, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to serve alone? Tell her then to help me. But the Lord answered her, Martha, Martha, you're anxious and troubled about many things. But one thing is necessary. Mary has chosen the good portion, which will not be taken away from her. Let's go to the Father in prayer. Lord, I thank you for this passage. I definitely could see myself in Martha. Lord, I like to do. I like to, I like to serve. I enjoy being busy. I don't want to just sit around. But at the same time, Lord, those of us who are that type of person, we need to realize that there are times that we also need to refuel. We need to recharge. We need to sit at your feet and listen to what you're saying. And if we don't, then we're going to see what can happen. So Lord, help each one of us to get up on this biblical treadmill, to have our own stress test today, to see which one are we most like. I do believe that each of these sisters have something that they can share with us. And so help us to look at it honestly, personally. Lord, speak to us through your Holy Spirit. Help us today to sit at the feet of Jesus and listen to what you say. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. Well, Luke's stress test begins by addressing the load. Did you notice that in verse 40 and verse 41? What was going on with Martha? Why was she so stressed? Well, one reason it says in verse 40 is Martha was distracted with much serving. It actually refers to it again in verse 41 when it says, Jesus said, Martha, Martha, you're anxious and troubled about many things, many things. You ever try to do too many things? It's like we overload the wagon we overextend our commitments, and then everybody, including ourselves, begins to pay a great price. We're going to look at that in a moment. And I'm not saying these things are bad things. Was it bad for Martha to be in there serving Jesus and the disciples and her sister Mary, probably her brother Lazarus? Was it bad for her to be in there making a meal? No way it wasn't bad. It's just, do you ever try to do things a little more than what's really necessary? 
I heard Adrian Rogers say one time that there were two Boy Scouts. And these two Boy Scouts were challenged, not just them, mind you, but the whole, whole troop. They were challenged. Try to do one good deed every day. So on a certain day, they said, you know what? We haven't done a good deed today, have we? They looked at one another and said, no. So they saw this senior adult lady walking down the sidewalk and they said, why don't we help her across the street? So they did. The only problem was she complained to their troop uh, commander. So when they talked to the boys, they said, what do you mean helping this lady cross the street? And they said, we thought that was a good deed. And they said, she didn't want to cross the street. She was shopping on that side of the street. So anyway, sometimes we're doing more than is necessary. We're doing more than people even expect or even want. But I want you to see what happens when we overload, when we overwork, when we're doing more than what we should, we become distracted. Martha was trying to do more than was necessary. And so the word distracted here is a Greek word, perispao, perispao. Peri means around and spao means to draw. It means to pull. It can mean to drag. Have you ever been pulled by this responsibility and then pulled by that responsibility and pulled and pulled in so many different directions? The Lord's not in control anymore. All of your responsibilities that you said yes to all of those are pulling you in a thousand different directions, but God is not in charge. That can happen so easily. It's happened to me. That's why I know it can happen. It happened to Martha. There's another word in the New Testament, not distracted, but the word hindered. Hindered. Sometimes a translation will use the word thwarted. It's a different word, but I think it does the same thing. It distracts us. It impedes our progress in Christ. That word thwarted is used a lot more than distracted because distracted is only used here in the New Testament. But the word thwarted or this word hindered, it's used several times. Let me give you four examples of hindered. 1 Thessalonians 2.18, Satan can sometimes hinder us from service, from a ministry that we should be doing. But Satan's got us off on another trail. That's found in 1 Thessalonians 2.18. But there's another thing that can happen. Luke 11.52, Jesus looked at some of those Pharisees, some of those scribes, and he said, you know what? You're hindering people from entering into salvation and entering into the truth. Have you ever felt like that maybe your life is hindering someone else from hearing the gospel? It's a very serious thing that we would be a stumbling block for someone else Galatians 5, 7 says, who is it that hindered you? You were running the race so well as a disciple. And then it says, somebody has hindered you from obeying the truth. You know, sometimes it can happen at school, at work, in the workplace, it can happen in a neighborhood, it can happen anywhere, maybe on a team, but somebody interrupts your steady pace. You were running really well obeying the Lord and someone got you to go up that they're hindering you it's thwarting you from what God would have you to do and this one is really haunting for me because I'm a husband and it says in first Peter 3 7 husbands should live with their wives in understanding ways remembering that we are paired together with someone and if we don't treat them right 
You know what it says will happen? It will hinder our prayers. Have you ever felt like, I'm not sure my prayer life is working. It could be that we don't have that relationship with our spouse that God would want us to do. It can distract us. It can hinder us. But let's move to another thing that the biblical stress test also reveals. Aggravation. Aggravation. On top of the distraction. So if the amount caused the distraction, what caused Martha's irritation? Well, I think it was ambiguity. Ambiguity over how Jesus can allow this to take place and continue. Can you picture it? I mean, how can me, you, how can anyone walk right up to Jesus, stand right there face to face with him and said, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to serve him, serve alone? Can you imagine that? I mean, it's like she's now telling him, you're not doing things right. You ever have that kind of sense of ambiguity in your life? And the aggravation, the irritation is toward God. And you're saying, Lord, don't you care? See, the same thing happened in Mark chapter 4 and verse 38. They're out there on the boat with Jesus. He's in the boat. He's sleeping. The disciples are saying, this storm's crazy. We've been on the, on the Sea of Galilee all our lives, and we've never seen the boat fill up like this. We're going to die. And so they wake Jesus up, and you won't believe what they said to him. Same thing. Don't you care? Do you not care that we're perishing? That's what it says in Mark 4:38. Do you not care that we're perishing? You ever let circumstances, especially prolonged circumstances, cause you to question God? Cause you to doubt whether he really cares or not? You know, I find it interesting that Matthew, Matthew didn't put that in there, and Luke didn't put that in there, but Mark, in chapter 4, verse 38, he put that in there. They all three had this same episode covered in the boat, but only Mark says, do you not care? You know what? You know where Mark got some of his information? The Holy Spirit used Peter to give Mark some of his information. I'm thinking, was that Peter? You ever, are you that type of person that you'll just say it and then afterwards you think, why did I say that? Golly, I shouldn't have said that. Well, 30 years later, Peter writes the little letter called 1 Peter. It's been 30 years since uh, this right here, since they were all sitting in that house, since that storm on that uh, boat and so forth. I want you to listen closely to what Peter says about Jesus in 1 Peter 5, verses 6 and 7. It's right at the end. If you've ever doubted if God cares for you, you need to, you need to read 1 Peter 5, 6 and 7. I'm just telling you. Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so that the proper time he may exalt you, casting all your anxieties on him. Here it comes. Because he cares for you. Because he cares for you. I believe Peter was so convinced of it. See, whenever they were on the boat, he didn't see Jesus on the cross yet. But after the cross, he said, you know what? I'm not going to go by circumstances. I'm not going by feelings anymore because I know he's already demonstrated how much he loves me. I encourage you to do that. 
And if nothing else, if silence is the way God is responding to you and your emergency and your worry, your ambiguity, then why don't you just trust his character? God is faithful to you. God is faithful to me. God loves me. God loves you. God is merciful and gracious. God is wise. God is sovereign. We can trust his character. We can trust who he is, even when we don't understand the way he's doing things. So take that ambiguity, take that aggravation and lay it down at his feet and say, Lord, I'm going to wait to see what you have for me. Well, the biblical monitor on this stress test also reveals something else, anger, frustration, not toward the Lord, but toward Mary, toward her sister. Do you have a sister? Do you have a brother? You ever been frustrated with them? My, my brother was messing with me one time. I got him in a headlock. And then my dad walked in the room and I let him go out of that headlock. I was like, no problem. He said, we got a problem here, boys? No, we don't have a problem here, dad. We're good. You know, Martha turns to manipulation and demands, tell her then to help me. It's an order. Tell her to help me. You ever tried to order Jesus to do things? It sounds like that he's not in administration. She's in administration now. She's saying, tell her to help me. Wait a minute. If you go back to verse 38, look at verse 38 again. Martha welcomed Jesus into her house. What happened to that welcome spirit? That excitement? Oh, Jesus and the disciples, come on in. We'd be glad to have you. Hey, you guys eating? How about I make a meal for you? What happened to that? I'll tell you what happened to that. Let's listen again to what she says to Jesus. Tell her to, then to help me. You see, if I get my eyes on someone else, or if I put my focus on myself, I guarantee you, I'm not listening to what Jesus is saying anymore. All I'm doing is I'm looking at them. I'm thinking about everything from my perspective. But what would happen if we had the same attitude as John the Baptist in John 3.30? It says, he must increase and I must decrease. John 3.30, it's not a long verse. It'd be a great life verse. Say, for the rest of my life, I want to say, Jesus, I want you to increase and I want to decrease. Is self on the throne or is Jesus on the throne in your life? Who's in control? You know, the carnal Christian, we've looked at this before. Remember the, the three diagrams. The natural man has self on the throne, God's outside, Christ's outside of his life. But then you have the spiritual person that says, hey, you know what? I welcome you, Jesus. I trust you, Jesus. I want to follow you, Jesus. I want to obey you, Jesus. He's on the throne for the spiritual, the growing, maturing person. They're not perfect, but they're growing. But the carnal Christian, totally different. Jesus has been removed from the control center of their life and self is back on the throne. Said, this is the way I want things done in my life. So now we're not seeking God. We're not listening to what Christ, all we're saying is, tell her to help me now. Wow. Can you imagine the audacity? Well, Luke records the great physician's interpretation of Martha's stress test with these words, Martha, Martha. It's what they call a double vocative. 
Tell some of your kids sometime when you call them by name. Elisa, Elisa, Abby, Abby. Tell them I'm using the double vocative. Jesus did this. It's a compassionate thing to do. He's trying to soften it. He's trying to say, look, look. You're anxious and you're troubled. Let's examine those two words, could we? Just for a moment. There's a Bible scholar named Vincent. In his word study, he actually says that the word anxious refers to inward uneasiness. Inward uneasiness. That's anxiety. But then there's trouble, he says. That's outward confusion. Sometimes when we are inwardly uneasy, you know what it produces? Outward confusion. I can't seem to know where I'm going. I'm so confused. I'm so, you know, uh, looking for the right way and I can't find it. The word for anxious there is merimanao. It means apprehension about, get this, apprehension about a possible outcome, a possible danger, a possible something out there that you wouldn't want, a misfortune. But it's an undue concern. You're unduly concerned. You don't have to be concerned. It might not even happen. Most things don't. But we still worry and we get stressed. And that's why in Matthew 6, Jesus addresses worry. Matthew 6, 25 to 34. But then there's the word trouble. And that is turbazo. Turbazo is the word we, we have derived our word turbulence on an airplane. Turbulence from turbazo. It means it's, it's shaking. It means it's stirring vigorously. There's an uproar. There's an unrest. There's a disorder. And if any of you have a German background, I thought this was kind of shocking. High German, the, the English word worry, going back to anxiety, the English word worry comes from a high German word, I'll try it, Vergen, W-U-R-G-E-N, Vergen. You know what it means? Strangle. Something strangling you. Something strangling the spiritual life out of you. That's what worry does. It just takes us. It's like an animal biting at your neck. We should say, oh Lord, help me to not be facing this confusion all because of all this anxiety that's running rampant in my life. So I want to close with this. I love the first four words of verse 41. Don't you like it when the Lord just simplifies everything? The first four words of verse 41 says, but the Lord answered. He's got the answer. If we just go to him, he has the answer. But the Lord answered. And so the diagnosis is given to Martha in verse 41. We already saw that. Martha, Martha, you're anxious, you're troubled about many things. That's the diagnosis. So what's the prognosis? Where's this going? What's the treatment? How do we not be anxious and worried? Well, he says, but one thing is necessary. Mary has chosen the good portion, which will not be taken away from her. I want to give you three parts to simplifying. Saying, okay, Lord, first thing is simplify life. He says, one thing is necessary. Just one thing. David said in Psalm 27, verse 4, One thing I have desired of the Lord, that I might dwell in his temple. 
that I might behold the beauty of the Lord. Do you take time each day to just dwell in his presence before you go to work, before you go to school, before you take on the responsibilities of whatever God has given you to do? It'll make a difference if you'd say, if I don't do anything else, the one thing I'm gonna do today is spend time with God. Paul said it in Philippians 3, verses 13 and 14, but one thing I do, he said, I'm gonna forget what lies behind. That's great that you had a quiet time a year ago. That's great that you read your Bible last week, but what about today? So he says, one thing I do, I'm gonna press on every day. I'm gonna keep on pressing on over and over again. I, found, I thought it was interesting that when Jesus says here in verse 42, one thing is necessary, the word necessary comes from a root word meaning a debt. Do you owe God anything? What is it that you have in your life that God didn't help you get it? You'd say, well, I worked for everything I have. I understand that you worked hard. That's great. But who gave you the mind? Who gave you the body? Who gave you the health that you could work to get that? Have you ever stopped to? And so what he's saying is, oh, one thing's necessary. You only owe one spiritual debt. That's to listen to what God wants to say. What does God want to say to you? So that leads to the second thing. Simplify life. Magnify the Lord. Mary's chosen the good part. Mary's chosen. It's eklegomai. Ek means out. Legomai means to select. So it's like you've got all of these choices of things you can do this day. You say, well, okay, I know I need to do that. I have to do that. I've got to do this. I have to do that. In that range that you have of discretionary time, do you ever, do you ever say, you know what? I'm going to sit and listen to what God has to say to me today in his word. So you just open up the Bible and you just listen to him. Isn't that what priority means? You ought to sometime write the word priority on a piece of paper and then underline P-R-I-O-R, prior. What does that mean? It means something comes first. Something is in advance. A priority is something that you say, before I do anything else, this comes first. This is prior. That's why Jesus said, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things will be added to you. But then I like what he said, these things will not be taken away from Mary. What does he even mean? These things will not be taken away from her. So she's in there listening to Jesus' words. Martha's in the kitchen making a meal. So I could be mistaken, but I think it means, Martha, you are focused on making all the food just so perfect, but that food's going to be gone as the sun sets this day. But what she's doing, what Mary's doing, it's eternal. Are you investing in eternal things? One time I started thinking, Lord, what? If I wanted to invest in eternal things, how can I do that? What does that mean? What does it look like? And I found at least three things that are eternal. The first thing that's eternal is the word of God. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God stands forever. You spend time in God's word. You made an eternal investment. Second thing, the souls of men. Do you know that everybody you know, when they die, they will not cease to exist. 
They will go forward into heaven or they will go forward into hell. Every soul will continue on. So when you spend time trying to help a friend or a family member, a neighbor, someone that you know, when you spend time trying to help them know that they can be saved, that's an eternal investment. And of course, the kingdom of God is eternal. Jesus was referring to it. Hey, the Lord's Supper, it's going to be over here in a minute, guys, was what he would be saying. But I'm looking forward to the fulfillment of the kingdom of God later. The kingdom of God lasts forever. So I just encourage you to verify what lasts. So here it is, simplify life and say, you know what? Some things I have to do, but I have some discretionary time. So out of the discretionary time, I'm gonna say, Lord, I'm going to take off some of these other things that are not as important so I can be with you. You're my most important. That would be magnifying the Lord. And so you magnify the Lord. You're like Mary, choosing the good portion. But then you're verifying what lasts. The Lord says, it won't be taken away. You know, it really all comes down to one key decision. Is Christ on the throne of your life today? Is Christ in the command center? Is he the one you're following? Is he the one calling the shots in your life today? Jesus once looked out into a crowd and he saw some weary souls of men and women. And they were trying so hard to make life work without him, without God. It doesn't work without God. People start having all kinds of problems because they are without God. And so he extended to them a very simple invitation. Come to me. That's what he said. Come to me. And if they would come to him, he promised them, I'll give you rest for your soul. Does your soul feel tired? Does your soul feel driven, worried, fearful, stressed? And he says, come to me. And so he offers peace for anyone that's driven and harassed and exhausted. And it's not just a one-time decision. It's really daily. See, this is a journey. That's why we call it disciple discipleship. It means that I'm following him all my life. I'll never back up on this commitment. So as we're looking into the mirror of God's word this morning, could you see yourself? Could you relate to Mary? And you would say, yeah, like Mary, I was stressed, but I remember the time that I decided I'm going to simplify life. I'm not just going to spend my whole life running here and there. So you trimmed a few things. You remember making the commitment to spend time each day with the Lord, listening to his word. And you've been thinking, I'm so glad I, I made the investment to be a part of a one. You know, uh, next Sunday, we're going to see someone follow the Lord in believer's baptism who was led through the, the ministry of the Awana Club. Maybe it's youth. I don't know what it might be, but you started investing in God's kingdom or when we looked into the mirror of God's word, did you hear Jesus addressing, not Martha, it was you, it was you. The still small voice of the Holy Spirit was saying, look, you're so distracted. You're so frustrated with God's timing, God's ways. You're so angry that you want to micromanage everybody else in the world. Inwardly, you're so uneasy. Outwardly, you're so confused. What do you do? Hey, I got a good word for you. 
Jesus says to you this morning, just come to me. All who labor and are heavy laden and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me for I'm gentle and lowly in heart and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. That's, that's the way you find it. And uh, as your shepherd, I'm, I'm just urging you, don't put that off. You, you should go to Jesus and let him give you peace. When I ask our musicians to come, we always have an invitation time, the end of our service. So I wanted to extend that, but you may say, I don't need to go up there. I need to talk with the Savior. I need to talk to my Lord. He's not on the throne right now. And I need to invite him back up there so that he's controlling my life. So why don't you stand, let's pray, ask him to guide us. And then you do whatever the Lord says. Some of you may say, I, I do need to go up there because I don't know how to trust Christ. So if that's the case, then come. We'd be glad to talk with you. Lord, thank you for your word. It's always active. It's always relevant. It's always powerful. It's always wise. It guides us into the truth. I'm so glad that you are a God of truth. We can trust you. And so, Lord, help us to do whatever it is your Holy Spirit is laying upon our heart today. There may be something we need to do. Maybe we're like Mary and we just need to keep doing the right thing. But maybe we're like Martha and we've just about run completely out of gas. Before we run out of gas on life's highway, I pray we will come to you, Jesus. Use the last few fumes to say, I'm laying it all down at his feet. Thank you for going to the cross for each one of us. Thank you that you rose from the dead and you're alive and you can make a difference in our lives. So you have this invitation in Jesus' name, amen. This is a ministry of First Baptist Church located at 1700 Milam Street, Columbus, Texas.